This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Gavin! Gavin! Gav! Gavin! Gav! 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 Gavin! Gav! Gav! I wasted my life looking. I looked, but I never saw. I saw nothing. <laughs> Dance Gavin Dance are an American rock band from Sacramento, California. With nine full-length records to date, you could be forgiven for not knowing the tumultuous beginnings of an act that is undoubtedly one of the scene's biggest today. Formed in 2005 by guitarist Will Swan, drummer Matt Mingus, and bass player Eric Lodge, the band then added John Mess on screams, Johnny Craig on clean vocals, and Sean O'Sullivan on guitar. Dance Gavin Dance released their debut EP, Whatever I Say is Royal Ocean, in 2006, with their debut full-length Downtown Battle Mountain following in 2007. Downtown Battle Mountain is an expertly crafted vision of chaos and beauty, of light and shade, of violence and sunshine. The R&B influence cleans of vocalist Johnny Craig both saw and soothe. Screamed vocalist John Mest starkly contrasts his namesake and counterpart with a screaming style that is dwarfed by the absurdity of his lyrics. Despite present day success, the band failed to capitalize on the following they were building as vocalist Johnny Craig was kicked out before this version of the band could truly bloom. What would ensue would be years of chaotic member changes during the Kurt Travis era of the band. And though this is an entirely essential part of the band's story, this era will be saved for another day. In 2010, Craig would return to the band to record and release Downtown Battle Mountain 2, an informal sequel to their 2007 debut. Having spent his time away from Dance Gavin Dance performing in Amorosa, and with DGD themselves having released two records without Craig, fans were incredibly eager to hear what the band would now be capable of. Downtown Battle Mountain 2 would ultimately showcase the more laid-back side of Johnny Craig, along with the more experimental Dance Gavin Dance that had emerged on their previous record, Happiness. Downtown Battle Mountain 2 would feature rap verses from guitarist Will Swan and complete departures from genre in songs like Blue Dream. Though incredibly talented, Johnny Craig struggled to elude the challenges he had faced in the band's earlier years and was soon ousted from Dance Gavin Dance unceremoniously for at least the second time. Though Craig has reunited with the band for anniversary tours, it would seem that the desires of die-hard fans for Downtown Battle Mountain 3 will not be met, as it would likely derail the career of a band who today enjoys success and stability nobody would have believed the band would ever attain, knowing the early struggles for Dance Gavin Dance and for Johnny Craig himself. I'm Paul, alongside me is Nick, and today on Violence and Sunshine, we're exploring Dance Gavin Dance the Johnny Craig years. We received a bit of feedback from some of our listeners after we did the Emerosa episode who didn't really know that band, didn't really know who they were, and we did an episode on them because they're a big favourite of ours. And now here we are covering Dance Gavin Dance and specifically the Johnny Craig years. So I have to ask you, Paul... 
Do you have a little crush on Johnny Craig? Johnny Craig is one of the most problematic people in the entirety of the scene. Over many years, it has unfolded that he is not a great person, to say the very least. There's certainly enough in his history to make him a very questionable guy. So it begs the question, why on earth would we do another record, another band of his? And the truth is, it's because I absolutely love this band. Dance Gavin Dance are one of my favorites. And Johnny Craig just happens to be the first vocalist of that band. And I feel like I can sit with this stuff as something I love from a very long time ago, knowing that he had not revealed the full extent of what a difficult person he can be until he was really out of this band. I do love this band. I love his time in the band, but he's not someone that I'm interested in anymore. I only really have one person who comes to mind when Dance Gavin Dance pops up, and it is you. Like, you have kind of stood alone, not only in our friendship group, but across other people who we know that are into this music from when we were teenagers all the way through to moving to Melbourne and and getting into other music. You have continued to stand by this band, absolutely one of your favourites, across Emerosa and Dance Gavin Dance. Just for the listeners, how many tattoos do you have that are related to those bands? It's probably three. I think there's two Emerosa tattoos and one Dance Gavin Dance tattoo. So yeah, there's definitely a real affinity for this. And I would probably consider them my favorite band and I think most people would, but I do like to pride myself on not forcing this band down anyone else's throat. Just being like, hey, I love these guys. Take them or leave them if you want. I know that they're weird, but there is just something that really resonates with this band. You know, 15 years of history, nine albums with a 10th on the way, a lot of member changes. There's a core element of kind of guitar and drums that has never changed in the band that has always really struck me. So while I love these Johnny Craig years and we're really going to dive deep into them today, it's it's something about the sonic appeal of Dance Gavin Dance that has kept me coming back for more through quite a soap opera of years. Yeah, they're, they're one of those bands that I th- I think a lot of people would be shocked to look into uh, to what their resume entails. Like, like as you said, nine studio albums have dealt with probably more controversy and member changes than nearly any other band I can think of from this scene and continue to release amazing music. And I, th- I think a lot of it comes from, as you said, those core foundational members who have really just stuck by what they're doing and have kind of gone, well, we're writing great music or we think it's amazing uh, we've, we're constantly coming up with, with new stuff. We're pushing the boundaries on how we write songs. Uh, we do need a front person. That we like that with the music we put together. Uh, as for who it is, we'll take who we can get. Um, they've come across some amazing vocalists, obviously Johnny Craig featuring on two of these albums, which we're going to talk about a lot today, but have found other, you know, kind of diamonds in the rough as well in, in some of the newer stuff. And it'll be fun to talk about, you know, more of, of the history and, and some of the newer stuff from Dance Gavin Dance in, in a future episode. But we really want to focus on Downtown Battle Mountain 1 and 2 today, um, the two Johnny Craig albums. So how about you kick us off? This is one of your all-time favorite bands, and this is their first debut album with Downtown Battle Mountain. What is it about this album that you love so much? I still remember the first time I ever heard the song and I told them I invented Time's New Roman. It's essentially the opener of the record. There's a small intro song at the start that leads into it, and I was lurking MySpace back in, I guess, 2007. It was the drummer from Closure in Moscow being a little fanboy lurker. I was looking at his page and I clicked into it. You know how the the music would autoplay? That song played and it got me immediately. I was sitting in my bedroom, a joining wall to yours. You know, I still remember this so vividly. (laughs) And it just came on through my Logitech speakers. 
and it just grabbed me. Like I still remember the feeling when I heard Johnny Craig's voice because it kicks in almost straight away. This is an incredible post-hardcore album. I don't know if I'm biased by the 15 years of love that I have for it. It'll be really great to unpack it with you. But for me, I can't fault a single thing on this record. I wouldn't change a single thing on this record. I have a bunch of favorite songs. You know, I love Times New Roman. It's an incredible opener. It's safe to say you dig the back seat. Lemon Meringue Tie, which is kind of just as popular as Times New Roman with a different vibe. The Backward Pumpkin song is great. Open Your Eyes and Look North, which probably has the best chorus on the record. And then 12 Hours and 630 Miles, which is this like little acoustic treat, which is probably too short, but really showcases the like power in Johnny Craig's voice. So I'd say nine times out of 10, I listen to Downtown Battle Mountain in full. And it's not a, a planned thing. Like I put it on because it starts with Times New Roman. And then I'm kind of disappointed when it's over. Like I'm just so <laughs> enveloped by this record. I absolutely love it. I'd love to know your feelings about it because I've just had 15 years of adoration for it. Man, it was an absolute pleasure, to be honest. Like this album, you, you've showed me a fair bit of Dance Gavin Dance stuff over the years, and I've never really fully grabbed onto much of it. I've always enjoyed what I've listened to and then kind of just left it as, you know, that particular car ride or that particular hang at your house or whatever. But this album, Downtown Battle Mountain, is an absolute standout. Still for me now from when you first showed it to me all those years ago. And I totally agree. It is an amazing album from start to finish. There are no weak tracks on it. It's so fucking cool. Some of them, some of the most complex guitars I'd heard at that time. You know, I think till then and a lot of bands we've covered so far, generally maybe outside of Alexis and some of the kind of metal stuff, the guitars are pretty simple. They're keeping a pretty classic kind of rhythm, rock element, uh, and then it's more it's more the vocals and other things that are making it more screamo or emo. But the guitars are just pretty standard, straight up, stand and deliver type thing. That is not the case with this album with this band. They are complex musicians, constantly pushing the boundaries. John's like unclean vocals, the screamer in the band. Uh, it actually reminds me a little bit of K-Baz from, from Blank Expression era. It's weird. Like, I, I think they have a lot of similarities in the way that they screamed, but it wasn't really anything like you'd heard before. It works really, really, really well, and, and I, I, I can't get enough of it. Um, some of my favorite songs on the album are very similar to yours. It's safe to say You Dig the Back Seat is, is one of my favorites on the album. Real fast, loud, double kick throughout, wild guitars melodic bridge with Johnny showcasing some of his like finest vocals that he's ever recorded uh, and they just feed off each other all the, the the two vocalists feed off each other the guitars and drums feed off each other the whole time the backwards pumpkin song as you mentioned also one of my favorites just a real super bouncy upbeat kind of fun um, track it's really ambient reverb sounds that guitars go for throughout that one there's some chants at the start of um ant lion that weirdly remind me of early falls the start of that song is really unique and so and it just showcases dance Gavin dance were never afraid to try something a little bit different you know the guitars go from like jazz and blues sounding to like super shredding like fast epic kind of sound they constantly move in and out turn off the lights has that kind of alexis on fire start to the song with the guitars that really really early alexis sound and and i agree with you that the kind of tail end of the album is some of their best work as well the more chill lighter vibes with with open your eyes and i really like surprise i'm from cuba before it leads into 12 hours 630 miles i, I think that's an amazing like epic crescendo 
to the album it, it's got some of johnny's like best soaring high vocals and then just in terms you said just that little snippet that's only just over a minute long but a great way to kind of close out what is an amazing album from start to finish you mentioned there's a little kind of snippet before times new roman that gets you hooked in and then that song kicks in and then they finished it in the same way with 12 hours and and it's just an amazing album i loved listening to it this week but this for me is really kind of the main and only dance gavin dance album that i could say i properly got into gave it a really good listen it was very nostalgic this week to listen back and and an absolute pleasure like some of the coolest stuff it's a very diy sound on the production but that's some of what i like about it the best it's not super polished it's just raw it's in your face it's everyone you know all these musicians absolute standouts and one and one that probably doesn't get enough credit because you've got johnny because you've got these amazing guitars but the drum work on these songs is so fucking cool because they chop and change time signatures they go from little cuts and and in and out of bits constantly i don't know how they really come up with writing these songs because it's not the most straightforward uh written music but but yeah really really cool They have quite an interesting approach to songwriting and one that I'm sure other bands do, but this is a formula they've kept almost their entire career. And that is Matt Mingus, the drummer and Will Swan, the guitarist, who are just outstanding musicians. They write everything and the song is finished before it gets to the vocalist. And then often the vocalists don't even write together. So to have the cohesion that this record has is just amazing because basically that song is done and the lyricists and vocalists have to then weave what they come up with into what's already there. And this has worked for them their entire career. Obviously, we, we are talking about the Johnny Craig years, but Will Swan as a songwriter needs to be celebrated and lauded because I think he is quite possibly the best guitarist in the scene. He absolutely would be in the present day scene because Dance Gavin Dance are huge and one of the biggest bands today. But even at this point, like I struggle to think of a band in 2007 that was being this experimental yet still sounding like they had their finger exactly on the pulse. It was like, this is exactly what things should sound like yet no one else sounds like this. And for you to kind of compliment the experimentation and the chaos and the drumming and the guitar, I have to say, this is probably Dance Gavin Dance's least experimental record. So this is the foundation they set as their first record, being like, this is the baseline. So many bands wish they could have that for their debut record. Oh, of course, man. Like, it's crazy. Like, you know, you think of bands like Mars Volta, who are very experimental with what they do and they get a lot of credit for that and and rightfully so and there's a lot of those bands that more sit in that kind of alt rock uh scene that are are kind of lauded as being you know very very uh proficient guitarists with what they do but will swan's work and, and as early as you said as early on this first album to be like this is how i write songs like this is what comes to me when i'm putting stuff together like he's an absolute shreds all man like i take so much inspiration from this because this couldn't be any like you and i've been in bands together this couldn't be any more further removed from how i write songs i am just a rhythm guitarist who tries to write kind of chord progressions i try to be as kind of unique in those progressions as i can but generally they just turn out pretty standard this guy doesn't do that like he he's writing like lead guitar to be the rhythm guitar like he's he's like this kind of run and lick uh, and sticking in this kind of key in the song, this, this is the verse and this is the chorus. It's not, oh, this will just be some kind of lead that will be played over the top of something else. It's like, no, this is it. This is the song. Like, So if you want another guitar, we'll just fucking you know, play off each other. We'll just write little licks and, 
and and lead guitar together like there's rarely any just kind of stock standard rhythm guitar that's just driving on a three or four chord pattern for a verse or a chorus they don't do that like these songs are so complex they're so intricate and will swan is probably everything to praise for these songs being that way dance gavin dance have released almost all of their records instrumentally as well. So they're available on Spotify. You can go and listen to this instrumentation and this music, go and watch YouTube covers and even playthroughs that Will has done himself. And you can see the incredible talent. So while Johnny Craig gets a lot of the praise for his amazing, soulful R&B inspired voice that just was not typical of the scene. Like everyone was trying to sing high, but people weren't kind of bordering on sounding like Michael Jackson at times in a band like this. He really pioneered that. And we went into detail in our Emma Rosa episode about that. But the instrumentation is just as impressive, if not more than Johnny Craig's incredible voice. That alone shows how proud the band are and how proud like Will and and the band are of putting these songs together where they basically go, hey, yes, we have vocalists that sing over the top of this stuff, but really we are a super technical band who write songs with the instruments we've got and then the vocals are an added joy and and no one's going to take away that you know you add johnny craig's voice to stuff it's generally going to sound better the songs are going to sound great but they're already amazing songs and for them to let the fans have these versions that don't have vocals attached to them i think i think that's really really cool because sometimes it's nice just to listen to the music for what it is. An outstanding record and one that will stick around for my entire life. I absolutely adore Downtown Battle Mountain. Came out in 2007 on Rise Records, produced by Chris Crummett, who has done almost their entire discography bar one. You mentioned the production. Like, he grew with the band, and that's another fantastic thing about what this band did. He was there for their first EP, this first record, and has done every record but one. And I think it's been great to also see the producer continue to work with the band and grow and flourish too. What a great relationship they've they've got together. Now, we sort of mentioned two key songs uh two kind of singles that stand out on this album for the fans both times new roman and lemon meringue tie have over 10 million plays on spotify each so i think we should put these songs head to head and see which one comes out on top head to head now we'll do things a little differently here and uh break a little violence and sunshine rule and maybe uh play a little sample of these songs before I do, though, and, and don't give away the answer, do you have a clear standout for these two? No, <laughs> I do not have a clear standout. Tough it's times, so tough hard. times, man. <laughs> Let's have a listen to a little clip from Times New Roman just to get the ball rolling. So that is that exact clip that I heard way back in 2007 as I was scrolling through the drummer from Closure in Moscow's MySpace. That is what hooked me. And maybe the listener heard that and just thought, oh, another whiny emo singer. But for me, (laughs) I'd never heard anything like that at the time. The start of that song especially is probably the most similar to what Johnny then went on to do with Emerosa. I, I was just talking up how complex the guitars are and how intricate they can be. The start of Times New Groman is probably the most 
uh, just stand and deliver rhythm guitars they go because they've got Johnny just absolutely bursting out of the gates at the start of that song and showcasing such an amazing singer that he is. So this one for me, like when you said, like, let's put these two, two songs head to head, I really thought oh, it's, it's going to be impossible to go past Times New Roman because it was the first song I heard too. I'm pretty sure, as you said, we, we shared a, a wall, our two bedrooms right next to each other. You probably fucking ran into my bedroom and said, dude, 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 listen to this. So I probably heard this song first and but then unlike you didn't, fully launch into and listen to the album you know straight away i probably just listened to this song a bunch we probably had it on mixed cds that were going around at parties and stuff or cruising around in the car and rightfully so because it is such a fucking killer track uh it's a great full sound it's like it sounds weirdly better produced than any other song on the album like i know you say it's this it's this this produces some of his earliest work i guess as well as the band's earliest work but weirdly this song sounds just incredibly well produced really smooth clean vocals from Johnny as well as when he like pushes it to that kind of more broken unclean uh, level that he can go to in the choruses um the drums never quit in this in this song just suit, like heaps of double kick rolling drum lines um the unclean vocals that again like at the time I didn't weren't necessarily my cup of tea I was just like oh, I don't know if I really like this guy's kind of attempts at a scream or yell or somewhere in between but listening back now i really get it and i really like it and i think it suits the song really really well builds back up to a super epic ending and then just like one of the only songs that has like a little breakdown at the end as well which is very uncommon for dance kevin dance songs but they have this little chuggy kind of breakdown at the end uh it's it's an amazing song it's definitely one of the standouts from the album uh i'm not sure if it beats out Lemon Meringue, but maybe we should have a little listen to that and then and then see where we come to. Here's a little section from the tail end of Lemon Meringue Tie. I still get goosebumps, man. 15 years on. Oh, man, me too. That is honestly one of the catchiest choruses ever to be put into a post-hardcore song. And especially that bit you show there at the end. That's really the K-Baz unclean vocals I'm talking about there. That sounds heaps like K-Baz from Blank Expression. But seriously, this chorus gets absolutely stuck in your head. You want to sing along to it, even though you know there's no chance you can hit these notes. But you want to anyway. We did try anyway. I remember singing this along for sure it's such a cool song it's probably more intricate in its bits uh than times new roman it it, it's got probably more going for it in that sense it's not just a a more straight up kind of song it it starts out really like that was the core that was kind of the end chorus uh in the outro there but that song starts very chill and weird and atmospheric and quite a different sound from Times New Roman. Great bass line in that song too. You're not going to hear me say that often, but <laughs> fantastic bass work in this band. It is. It, it's it's kind of the underrated instrument with bands like this. Like the bass has to keep up. You know, if you've got guitars and drums and, and even the, the, the vocal melodies that are going on in these sort of songs, you can't just have someone who's going to, you know, pluck away at some very boring bass. You've got to keep up with them. It's fucking cool. I actually really, really, really like Lemon Meringue Tie. It, it, once it kind of kicks in after that, after that uh, weird, chill, atmospheric intro, it's very fast. 
uh, and and super catchy. I'm going to base it on the Goosebumps scale. Times New Roman, I've got Goosebumps from the second it starts. Lemon Meringue Tie has a build-up to hit that chorus because, like you said, it is kind of chill. It is floaty, floaty guy. Shout out to Reese. Um, and it works its way up to its crescendo and to its kind of like high point and impactful point. So I do love that they're quite different songs. I didn't realize till this week that they had such similar plays on Spotify. I always thought Times New Roman was the long-term standout, but ultimately I think it is Lemon Rang Tie with, with an extra half a mil of listens. Goosebump-wise, Times New Roman is the whole song. Lemon Rang Tie, I work my way up to it. Lyrically, I love Lemon Meringue Tie more than I love Times New Roman, but I'm never going to go past the fact that Times New Roman is what got me into this band. And back to back with Finch, Letters to You being one of my all-time favorite songs, I've got to say Times New Roman would be one of my all-time favorite songs. So in a head-to-head, I'm choosing Times New Roman. For me, it was tough because I was trying to think, okay, if I could only listen to one of these songs and the other one I can never listen to again in my life. I, that's where I go Times New Roman because it's got that nostalgic vibe. It's the first Dance Gavin Dance song I ever heard or the first time I ever heard Johnny Craig sing. So it's got all that going for it and it's an amazing song. But I do think Lemon Rang Tai is the better song overall. I think that you talk about that kind of goosebump feeling and yes, like Times New Roman, give the goosebumps from the start and all the way through. But the fact that Lemon Meringue Tai like you have to wait for it. You have to wait for it. And then it comes. The goosebumps are doubly as, as big on my arms, man. My hairs are standing up when that fucking outro comes along. So, yeah, I couldn't really split them. I would probably go with Times New Roman as being if I could only listen to one ever again. But if I'm just saying, like, what the better song is, I think Lemon Meringue Tie is the better song. Like, a better written, more complex song. So it's a bit of a cop-out, but that's where I kind of land. <laughs> Not at all. I think the listeners are rejoicing. We're going to take that as a difference in opinion. As political as we are and as kind of like, oh, I love this, but I see why you love that. I'm going to take this as I'm picking Times New Roman, you're taking Lemon Meringue Tie. That is us finally going head to head (laughs) and disagreeing on something. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good for us. It's good for the listener because they're probably thinking, oh, fuck, you guys are in each other's heads too much. But yeah, both amazing songs. And I think like if anyone hasn't listened to a lot of Dance Gavin Dance before, because I think a lot of our listeners probably haven't, and there's going to be a lot of new shit that people should listen to for sure. Um, but if you're wanting more of that nostalgic sound, you know, bands that more sit in this kind of era, like others that we've covered in, in the other previous episodes, listen to those two songs if you don't listen to anything else, and you will not be disappointed. This record really got people's attention and Johnny Craig as a live performer was absolutely getting people's attention. You know, the intricate musicianship of Will Swan, Matt Mingus, Eric Lodge on bass and John Mess on Unclean Vocals, who's absolutely still around in the band today. They were building a bit of a cult following and really impressing people. But Johnny is not a stable individual as we've explored in greater detail in the Emerosa episode. And this was really the kind of the first sign of that. Dance Gavin Dance were forced to kick him out of the band in the middle of a tour because of reliability issues, because of substance issues. And we're going to hit the way back machine right now and take a journey to 2007 and read a section, not the whole thing, but a section of the MySpace bulletin the band released when they kicked Johnny Craig out for the first time in 2007. The full thing is a doozy. I remember reading it at the time. And there is stuff that is aired that is like incredibly unprofessional, incredibly juvenile. But with the benefit of hindsight and seeing what kind of guy Johnny Craig is, 
you can't help but understand why this band was so utterly frustrated. But I'm going to read basically the first paragraph and the last paragraph of that statement from our good old friend MySpace. After the Saints and Sinners Festival last weekend, our singer Johnny Craig quit the band. The situation arose after he failed to show up to the majority of our first song and I told them I invented Times New Roman in front of 2,000 or so people. He then proceeded to continue his drug and alcohol binge of the previous night, making a fool out of himself in front of our friends and other bands. Later in the night, he got in an argument with our merch guy and tour manager, as well as a member of the band, and decided he would quit the band. We attempted to reason with him, but we could only say that he was done and moved his heavily drugged self to a friend's hotel room. This is a typical series of events for our band, and Johnny has quit and rejoined the band in the morning numerous times. Unfortunately, after this much abuse, we were unable to continue to let Johnny continue with his usual idiotic ways, and we left him in New Jersey and drove home without him. We are still with Rise Records, we are still with our current manager, and we are still with our current booking agent. We will be getting a new singer as soon as we can find one. Everyone else is still in the band. If you want to audition, send an email here with a sample of your singing. Right now, we are all moving into a house in Sacramento to start writing for our next album. We will not abandon old songs and will still be playing them when we tour again in the near future. We understand what we are doing and we will make our next album better than the last. We want to apologize to fans who have not been able to see us due to cancelled shows. So you can hear there that the core of that is really a band at their wits end. You know, it, it's not the most stable and professional, like parted ways due to personal reasons that <laughs> yeah, you yeah. see all the time. <laughs> um, you know, they really went in on him in the extended version, which can be dug up on MySpace. Thankfully, someone has archived it. And if you would like to, feel free to go do that for yourself. But obviously, this band had no plan. It was just like, fuck this guy. Like, we don't know who's going to replace him. Send us an email if you think you're a good singer. But ultimately we are done with the scenarios he puts us in and back then you could empathize with johnny a little bit or feel sorry for him and be like you know this is a guy with substance issues who needs support who needs love and that kind of was part of the defense of johnny craig at his worst it's like this is someone who needs support but this really was the starting point of going no matter how good this guy is as a singer he is not a good human being to be around and the band got rid of him. And it was a huge, huge thing. Yeah, I think potentially from the band's perspective and what we have already discussed a little bit, given that, you know, Will and, uh, and Matt kind of wrote these songs together and completed them, then had the vocals out on top. From a band perspective, they probably say, saw it as, we'll be fine. Like, we're the songwriters here. We're the ones who are writing the music that is what it is. Yes, having someone like Johnny Craig is amazing and we're super kind of like bummed that he has allowed us to be in this position where we have to let him go because we just can't be around that personality anymore. It's too destructive for the band to continue with him there. But I kind of like that confidence of them being like, we will be fine. We will replace it because Will and Matt were probably like, we will be fine. We write all the music. We come up with the songs. We will have someone who can fill in every other member unchanged and yes johnny is an absolute standout on downtown battle mountain but i'm sure that people would agree that the music stands up just as well without him as well the band had to look out for what was best for them they're thinking fuck we can't let this derail what could be a very successful career we need to cut him out even though as you said in hindsight potentially probably needed 
a little bit more support and that around someone who's clearly dealing with like drug and alcohol um, abuse, uh, you know, maybe just completely booting someone and fucking off in the van and leaving them there on their own isn't the greatest thing to do to someone who's dealing with substance abuse. But for the band, I guess they just had enough and it sounds like it wasn't, you know, this wasn't a standalone incident, was it? This, this was like a pattern of behavior that he'd been running them through for a while. You and I spoke about this the other night. We had a lovely little pub meal together and we spoke about just in our own relationships and being adults where empathy has to move to boundaries. You get to a point where if you have supported someone so much through difficulties and challenges, you then also have to enact some self-protection. That's essential to surviving difficult people. Like we all feel the urge to support people that are struggling and Good people do that. You know, we look out for other people, we feel empathy for them, we try to support them. But you also have to go, well, fuck, this is ruining my life. This is affecting our business, our band. You know, our star is rising. This person is affecting it. This is just the beginning of the soap opera and there is so much more to come. But I think now is an appropriate time to take a quick little break to hear from this week's sponsor. It was a magical summer. Nick was a new metal boy. Paul was more into punk. They met in biology class. They had nothing in common, but Nick could never know that seeing Paul's copy of Blank Expression's Full Blood Circle would lead to a lifelong friendship. Hey, that's my brother's band. Want to listen to an earphone each on my discman? From the best-selling novel by Nicholas Sparks. Hey man, want to come to the old fire station with me? Blank Expression are playing. Comes a story. Let's get a V-Line train to Melbourne and buy some of the used sweatbands. About what we long for. I want you for myself. Don't join Born a Liar. What we settle for. I have Born a Liar waiting for me. And who we're meant for. I'll do it. I'll join Violence and Sunshine. Hard Truth Cinema presents Skinny Nick, Paul 13, Simo, The Snowden Brothers, with a special appearance from Stewie Jacks. A piercings hat film. Let's move in together. I bet it will be amazing. Nothing could go wrong. Coming this fall. The Discman. Back to Dance Gavin Dance. Once Johnny Craig was kicked out of the band, the band then hired Kurt Travis. And in the next two years of his involvement in the band, they released two more records. They released Self-Titled in 2008, sometimes known as Death Star, which was a, a pretty straightforward continuation from Downtown Battle Mountain musically. Like you could hear that that was the record that was following. And then there was a completely left field record called Happiness, which has probably the band's best artwork, um, but is also one of the most divisive. Like to some people, it's the best thing they've ever heard. It's the top of the pile. To others, it's the bottom because it had a real like funk party completely different approach um but those are records for another day you know they deserve their own thing entirely because it was a completely different era of the band that had its own stories and troubles and, and events so we'll save that for another day and jump forward to 2010 when kurt travis is kicked out of dance gavin dance for poor live performances apparently he was smoking a lot um, I know we saw them at Soundwave. It was the first time I'd ever seen them and it was incredibly disappointing. You know, they were down to four members by that point. Kurt wasn't hitting all the notes and, and it was a real 
frustration and disappointment. And it seemed that the band were very much on the ropes. And in a kind of desperation attempt, they're like, we're probably going to break up. This isn't working out. Let's bring Johnny back for one more record. Let's do Downtown Battle Mountain 2, write the record, record it, release it. The fans will be happy. Tour it and call it a day, which is an incredibly kind of bold step to take, but one that a band did out of desperation. They got Johnny Craig back for Downtown Battle Mountain 2, again released on Rise Records, again produced by Chris Crummett, and this one came out in March 2011 after he'd rejoined in 2010. This was not a natural sequel to Downtown Battle Mountain. It's only a sequel in name. The band had done two records in between these two records and had really just gone out there with their sound. So a slightly different approach. Johnny Craig had, had adjusted his vocal style by this point. Dance Gavin Dance had become a lot more experimental. And I think ultimately the result was a great record, but probably not quite as cohesive as Downtown Battle Mountain was. I think DBM2 has a great collection of songs and songs that I absolutely adore from Spooks the Opener through to Blue Dream, which is a complete departure from their regular genre, right down to Heat Seeking Ghost of Sex, which incorporates Will Swan's rap verses, which started to become a bit more of a mainstay in the band by this point. But some wonderful songs on there, things that I still listen to, a record I did enjoy listening to this week, but probably not as profound as Downtown Battle Mountain, but some great fan service on this one. I'm glad you brought up uh, us seeing them live when we did, because um, probably didn't think about it that much at the time, but in hindsight, looking back, that really probably was the reason, or one of the big reasons why I kind of jumped off and never got back on board with Dance Gavin Dance, because you were, you were a really big fan. They were playing that festival. You were very keen for us to watch them with you because you were like, you, you would have already seen them before then as well, I think. No, that was no, my that first, was your first time, time seeing them. Yeah, That was your first time. So you're, you're a very good fan. They should really, you know, appreciate you, you being a fan because we watched that show and it was not good. It really wasn't great. And I remember kind of having this feeling of like, Hmm. I think Paul and I are just on the different different pages here a bit. Like, I don't really get this band. I really love listening to Down, Downtown Battle Mountain. It's a cool album. Didn't listen to the two in between uh, Downtown Battle Mountain 1 and 2. I, di- I didn't listen to either of those two albums. Um, so then seeing them live and, and getting what we got, it was quite underwhelming. Uh, so this week, listening to Downtown Battle Mountain 2 was sort of... It felt like the first time listening to this because... I didn't really listen to it much when it came out. I definitely had forgotten most of what it was. So it was sort of like just starting from scratch with this one. And instantly, it is, as you said, quite a different sound. Like Johnny's singing's different. One of the biggest differences is that unclean vocals. Quite a different sound he's going for here. He he stepped away from the K-Baz and he's gone into more of, uh, I guess, a little bit more of a typical kind of yell scream sound here. It's still unique. It's still not like what a lot of bands were doing but quite a lot different from the way he used to kind of yell or scream. But this album is incredibly complex. You talked about earlier when I said, you know, Downtown Battle Mountain, I didn't like, I hadn't really heard other bands in the scene that were doing this kind of stuff with their guitar work until I'd heard that album. And you were like, oh, that was only kind of the beginning from them. That was them just kind of scratching the surface. I can hear that now when I'm listening to to Downtown Battle Mountain too. Like, the guitar work across this album is so fucking cool. Like, they cover multiple genres from blues to metal to uh, funk. 
to uh, like and then and then you mix in that when the you know we've got will is it will that does the rap parts yeah. throughout the album yeah fucking like spooks alone the opening track and that little kind of like rap spoken wordy bit that's in spooks and then there's even more rap throughout other tracks in the album it's such a cool new element to add into a band that's already pushing the boundaries for doing something quite different is this the first album that they showcased adding kind of rap elements to their songs it's actually the second album. So the prior record, Happiness, where they really branched out and experimented. John Mess, the screamer, had actually left the band due to Lyme disease and couldn't scream as much anymore. And I think that's what contributed to the change of sound when he did come back for this record, Downtown Battle Mountain 2. So Will actually started rapping on Happiness and he was also the screamer on Happiness. And then when John came back for Downtown Battle Mountain 2, they still retained that. So there was still a couple of screams Will did and a few rap verses that he did as well. Such a talented dude. And and this album, like the guitar work that, that Will rocks on this album, like there's, there's a band that I really, really dig called The Dirty Projectors. Totally, totally different genre, but some of the coolest intricate guitar work that I've heard and then seen live as well, and they can do it. And it's really fucking cool. I didn't know that I would hear something that was similar to that until I heard this album. It's weirdly similar, kind of plucking away on these like odd bluesy riffs on guitar that somehow with this style mix with this post-hardcore sound. But on this album, not as much of a hardcore album as the other ones. This one's definitely far more of like a bluesy rock, funky rock type album and, and really, really cool. And the thing that sets it apart the most for me is probably uh, I really find that Downtown Battle Mountain with Johnny on it, there's, there's those standout singles and those standout choruses, and he is a big part of why those songs are so catchy and so good. This album, Johnny's a little bit more stripped back. He's a little bit more chill, a little bit more mellow. He's not really doing those super high soaring choruses that you get on his earlier work. And I think you start to see that this band is going to be just fine without Johnny because these songs and this album is more than him. He is great. It was cool that they got him back for it and he does the clean singing parts well in this album, but they're not as much of a standout part of the album. Everything else is the standout. He is then then just there along for the ride. And it, and it is great. There's no knock on what he brings to it, but the album is great without him. My favorite songs similar to you, like Love Spooks, a love pounce bounce and blue dream as you said just a complete departure from kind of any other genre they'd already dipped their toe into is such a fucking cool lounge vibe chill bluesy sound uh, i really really fucking love that song on the album too well as we're gushing over that let's take a little listen to blue dream because it's an incredible song God damn, if this was a video podcast, man, people would be vibing with us. That song and that bit is so fucking cool, man. And that, the bass line that's, you know, bumping along there, real cool little, like, funky bluesy guitar that's just chilling along. And then the two layers of vocals, you've got, like, Johnny Craig sounding like he's singing in a hall in the background somewhere. And then you've got, you know, more the kind of cruisy, uh, I guess, more smooth vocals that is what he generally is doing throughout this whole album. They layer the two of them over the top 
of that music. It shouldn't work. It works so well. I, I just fucking love that track so much. It's probably the best song on that album, even though it's the most different and unique song on the entire album. Downtown Battle Mountain 2 doesn't lean on Johnny the way that Downtown Battle Mountain 1 does. The band had progressed. They'd gotten better. They'd done two more records. And so had Johnny, but he was starting to decline. And here we are in 2022. He doesn't hit notes the same way he used to. He doesn't write lyrics well. And you summed it up so nicely by saying, yep, the band displayed here that they would be completely fine without him because the cracks were starting to show before the record even came out. So this record came out in March, 2011. It was February, 2011, when the infamous MacBook scandal came to light. And we covered that in the Emma Rosa episode. It's worth having a listen back to that and the way he scammed fans out of money. So we've got the MacBook scandal in February, 2011, a month before the record comes out. In April 2011, Johnny's kicked out of Amorosa because he was trying to do both bands. That was for the MacBook scandal. They didn't want a bar of it. Tillian Pearson, who is now the vocalist for Dance Gavin Dance, filled in for Amorosa when Johnny was kicked out of the band. So there's a nice little tie in there. In October 2011, Johnny Craig is asked to check into rehab by the band and they cancel a headlining tour that they had ready to go because they're like, we love you, Johnny. We're here to support you. You know, we, we addressed this a little bit earlier. Like there's only so much you can do, but here is the band still trying to help this guy out. And so they go on a brief hiatus and everyone thinks that Dance Gavin Dance is over because Johnny's back in rehab, has not fixed things, he's not improving, he's he's worse. So in mid-2012, Johnny comes out of rehab, rejoins Dance Gavin Dance, assures fans that everything is going to be all right, that he's, he's going to stay clean, he's not going to do anything wrong again. And there was absolutely, I know I still believed this at the time, I thought, yeah, this guy is getting the help he needs, he's getting the support, he's going to be all right. But by August 2012, he was kicked out mid-tour again. The band have had enough of his shit. They've tried so hard. And this is at least the second time, probably the 50th time he's been kicked out of the band. But this time, it's stuck. And this is what Dance Gavin Dance wrote on Facebook about Johnny Craig's departure on this occasion. When Johnny rejoined Dance Gavin Dance, we were about to call it quits. Tired of touring and being away from home for eight months of the year, we wanted to shake things up. We thought it'd be fun to do a Downtown Battle Mountain sequel with Johnny and go out on that. We recorded Downtown Battle Mountain 2 and felt it would be a disservice to our fans not to let them hear the new record live. We did a tour and felt rejuvenated, but Johnny wasn't in a good place. After trying to convince him into getting help over Warp Tour, we cancelled a headliner in November-December 2011 and told him we wouldn't tour until he sought out real help for his addiction. Our good friend Matt Geis filled in for a short run while Johnny was in rehab. He was released and wanted to be out on the road immediately. We weren't sure how things would go, so we only booked a small portion of the All-Stars tour to see if Johnny could still function as our lead singer. After a week and a half, things were not going well. Everything came to a head when Johnny was publicly scolded by the owner of Sumerian Records for multiple offences. It was then that we realised our time with Johnny had reached its end. We wish Johnny the best in his future endeavours, but he will no longer be part of Dance Gavin Dance. We, however, will continue playing and writing music because it's what we love doing. So a little bit more grown up, a little bit more mature than the first one, and clearly a band that had reflected on what had gone wrong the first time, really tried to support this guy. You know, They brought him back, they gave him a lifeline, and it didn't work out, and he had to go. This is Johnny Craig's statement. By now you have all heard that I'm no longer with Dance Gavin Dance. 
I've decided it's time for me to focus on my solo project moving forward. I appreciate my time in Dance Gavin Dance, but it's time for me to move on and concentrate on my solo career. I wish the best for those dudes and the success of Dance Gavin Dance. I have a solo tour in the UK in October and will be announcing a full US tour shortly. Stay tuned for the next chapter in Johnny Craig's career. So this is the moment I should have seen the red flags. This guy just got kicked out of the band with a very thoughtful statement about his struggles. What's his response? I've decided to move on and, and pursue my solo career. It's become clear over the last decade since Dance Gavin Dance gave him another chance that he is not a great person. He is not a great bandmate and the things he has done to himself and not just to himself, but do affect others. There's a credit to the band for giving him another shot. I think, I think it's, it's worthwhile, uh, you know, looking upon that as a, as a, a nice thing to do. The wording from the, the MySpace um, output from the band was, as you said, quite juvenile and they really sort of, you know, attacked him personally and took him down and it's like, doesn't want to be a part of it. They invited him back in. He was keen to get back in the band. They released what is a really, really nice album and want to tour it. And then he just came, seems to kind of, you know, shoot himself in the foot again and take no responsibility for it. It would have been so hard to be that band and just be feeling like, oh my God, like three, four years have passed yet it, no, nothing has changed. Like that would be really, really hard to see that. And the fact that Johnny himself didn't seem to have take any of that in himself where he's gone, oh shit, I clearly do need to work on myself more. I thought I was better. I've tried rehab. I've come back out. It's not working. I've clearly got more shit. I've got to, you know, focus on it and try and get better at being a good person. It's just like, nah, I'm just focusing on me and I'm in the spotlight and I'm going to do me first and everyone else can kind of fuck off. That then is really the red flag, isn't it? This guy clearly is his own kind of being. He, he doesn't seem like a great team player, incredibly talented at, at what he did, but maybe just being out there on his own doing his thing is where he needs to be and not really affecting anyone else's shit. Well, we've spoken a lot about Dance Gavin Dance. Let's hear from Greblo. I've often said that in life, the best gift anyone can give anyone is music that that person can take along with them for the rest of their life forever. So today, I'm here to say thank you, boys. Because I've never listened to Dance Gavin Dance before. And when you said that they were the band for the week, I was shattered because it's just more, you know, cleans and screams mixed together. I've said that's like a splice icy pole. It's for people who don't know what they want in life. But... I knew how much they meant to you, Paul, and I wanted to do it for the pod, so I swam deep. I dived right in, and I am stoked to say that they are like a spliced icy pole, but only in the way in which they are delicious. Like, it's been a sick where Gavin be dancing, Gavin a good time. I, it's not the singing you're talking about, though. Nah, you got to jump forward. The, the new guy, so much better. But they are fun. I've had a good time. So, boys, I'm here to say I'm not 100% sure if Skinny likes them again. But thank you. Right on, Greblo. That's nice. I was a little stressed about what he would have to say because, you know, he has shocked us before. We know that he has a slightly different flavor to what he enjoys. And I wasn't sure what he was going to come with. I didn't know if he was going to tell us about how terrible these records were <laughs> and how terrible this band is. But he found his own little thing. He found a new band to listen to. Yeah, it was really nice to hear uh, that Greblo did listen to some of that newer stuff and really enjoyed it because it made me also want to go down that path. Um, there's not a lot of 
new music that I listen to these days. And here's a band that this week I've enjoyed the music more than anything else. It hasn't been Johnny that's been the thing that's drawn me to enjoying Dance Gavin Dance as, I, as much as I have this week. It's been the music. So I'm really, really keen to hear some of this new stuff. I don't know if I've got eight albums worth of listening in me, <laughs> but uh, I know Grevlo told me on, on a side chat that the newest album in 2020 and I think something maybe released around 2016 were two that he was really vibing. So I'll probably start with just the, the most recent album, give that a listen. I'm really keen to hear how Tillian goes and um, and just keen to hear Will absolutely shred it on, on some of the new stuff because... Fuck, these guys are good. And while this episode is called Dance, Gavin Dance, the Johnny Craig years, I think it's Will Swan who kind of deserves to be celebrated and lauded. Well, we're getting late in the uh, in the pod, but I reckon we can squeeze out a little game. Have you got it in you? Should we give it a go? Yeah, boy, let's do it. Let's do it, man. People of all ages, this is The Quiz. There'll be questions. There'll be answers. There are no prizes, but this is the quiz. Okay, Paul, here we are with the Dance Gavin Dance quiz. And at first I was thinking, oh, the most intriguing part about this band's name is the fact that they've gone with Gavin, which is just such a (laughs) meh name, isn't it? Gavin. I actually love the name, man. I actually think it's an amazing name. I really like how quirky it is. So I was thinking Gavin and I was just like, oh, cool. We'll do some questions around Gavin. Like surely there's some famous people called Gavin. Ah, there's not. There's really like three. There's like three people. So I was like, fuck that. What else have we got? We've got dance. We've got dance twice. We've got double dance. So this is a dance quiz, but it's not so much, it's not so much questions. What we're going to do, Paul, is we're going to find out what type of dancer are you? So question one is, which of these meals tempts your appetite the most, Paul? Is it fine dining, spaghetti and meatballs, barbecue, junk food, or Mexican? pure authentic mexican get this old el paso out of there and give me some real corn tortillas and some no cheese no cheese and sour cream allowed i'm taking mexican (laughs) delicious yes totally agree with that good authentic mexican is hard to beat so question two what is your history with playing musical instruments so these are your options i was given lessons as a child i taught myself drums as a teenager i don't play any musical instruments i play the guitar I play a woodwind or stringed instrument. Which one of these do you think just like best kind of summed up your history with music? Mum got me a drum kit from Cash Converters and it was brilliant. Just to like have something to thrash on and to hit was just incredible. So yeah, that's my answer. I taught myself drums as a teen. I thought that was going to be you for sure. I'm the fucking wankier one, which is getting lessons as a child. But anyway, question three, your favorite pastime. Is it doing something artsy, playing video games? trying new foods, hanging out with family, or making money. You know what? I'm struggling with this a little bit. I'm going to take doing something artsy. Okay. Moving on. Question four. What is your idea of being pampered? Is it having the spotlight placed on you, being around people who appreciate you, getting a full body massage after work, or a bath with some soothing music and maybe a glass of wine? 
Which one of those is you being pampered? I'm going to say being around people that appreciate you. That's really nice. Like I like, you know, quality over quantity. That's always really lovely to spend time with. You know, it's great to be with people you love. So that's my answer. Yeah, mine's a bath for sure. I'm a total bath boy. Fucking love a bath. Uh, all right, let's go. This is right up your alley, actually. Question five. What is your favorite part of camping? Is it telling ghost stories around the campfire? I hate camping. Snuggling up in the sleeping bag under the moon with my honey. (laughs) Or discovering all the weird things one finds in the woods. I reckon it's discovering all the weird things. Like everywhere you go, there's always something to it. Like, you know, it might be a different country. So you're seeing different animals or just a different area of Australia and seeing, you know, turtles and turtle murderers yeah. and things like that so um yeah i think it's seeing all the weird things yeah that's that's right up your alley that's a big part of why you've gotten into camping so much and and you know spending two years in canada i think what completely exploded your love for camping it was really funny last night actually at, at your party i think uh you know good friend of the show reese said kind of put to us and said oh if paul's kind of like a nine out of 10 as a camper. Like he loves camping. Like, you know, he's really into it. He's got all the gear, all this stuff. He said to me, oh, skinny, what what would you be? I was like, oh, probably only like a five or a six. Like I own a tent, but I don't camp all that often. I like it, but whatever. He goes to, you know, Phil White. Phil, what about you? And he goes, yeah, I'm a nine too. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, Phil. Get out of here, mate. Doesn't own a tent. There is only room for one nine in this town, Phil. And you are are the part that bridges it to 10. You are a one out of 10, Phil. Deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) One out of 10. Oh, dear. Do love the boy, though. Absolutely love him. We love you, mate. (laughs) All right. Question six. Uh, Which of these are you most likely to wear? Is it a tracksuit? Whatever's comfy, a suit of armor that you found at a garage sale, something that shows a bit of skin or casual business. It's tracksuit all day, man. Like I have become a PE teacher this year and I absolutely love it. I get paid real person money to wear comfortable clothes and play games with kids. So, I mean, I'd be trying to wear tracksuits anyway, but now I'm allowed to wear them. So yeah, tracksuits all day, (laughs) my man. Man, I'm very intrigued as to what you're going to come out as because this, this is interesting. This is a good little combo. All right, let's go. Question seven. Uh, I never leave the home without smelling good, my phone and wallet, looking presentable, or making sure my fly is zipped. I do try to smell good, but I probably forget sometimes. So I'm going to go phone and wallet because you can't leave the house without those things. Uh, okay, we've only got a couple to go. Question eight uh, for you, Paul. Love is... A gateway to real fun, hard to find, lovely when it works, or something I remember well from a long, long time ago. Aw, um, I'm going to say it's hard to find. I think you and I are both really lucky to be in relationships that are incredibly functional, highly communicative, and I don't know if that is what everyone has the pleasure of enjoying. So I'm very grateful for that. So I'm going to say it's hard to find, though I have found it. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. A little shout out to Aaron and Ruth there. Uh, oh, sorry, partners. I'm talking about Lizzie the cat. Oh, yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. I mean, I love music. Yeah. Aaron and Ruth, who are they? Uh, these are the other girls in our life, I guess. <laughs> oh, our housemates, yeah. Our housemates, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, dude, question nine. Uh, which of these is most likely to be your current ringtone? Is it nothing special, a sexy seductive number, a hit from the 90s, a snippet of Mozart, or a hit from the 80s? Um, I don't know when this is from. Have you got your phone on you? Do you want to call me and hear what my ringtone is? 
totally man i would love to know it because mine's just so just nothing like it's just one of the stereotypical iphone ones i've never bothered to change it uh i don't so i didn't even know how i would answer that question but let's give you a buzz and let's see what comes out <laughs> yeah that's me <laughs> Oh wow, that's um, it's pretty jarring. That's lovely. Yeah, it's like it really it's very offends jarring. people. I don't even know where that sits. You you'll have to you have to give the answer here. Um, let's just. I think eighties is the oldest. I reckon it's older than that. But let's go eighties. Let's go eighties. I, I like that. Let's let's lock that in. And last question before we find out uh, what kind of dancer you are, Paul. What does your smile say about you? Does it say I'm sexy? I'm a misfit. I don't smile that often. I'm down to earth or I'm a star. I'm going to go I'm down to earth because I wouldn't feel good about any of the other options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a, great, not a great choice there to finish it off. But we are calculating result. And uh, while we calculate the result, we will give a little shout out to brainfall.com uh, because they're the ones who uh, put together this little quiz. So we'll see what you are, Paul. And I am so pleased to announce that, Paul, you are... A break dancer. Oh, fuck off. It was purely the tracksuit thing, I bet. I hate break dancing almost as much as I hate Scar, man. I want to recount. <laughs> let's, let's, see, let's see if you like it a little better because there's a tiny snippet related to why you are a break dancer. It is because you are very talented. You're not shy about being the center of attention. In fact, you belong there. You excel at just about everything you put your mind to. And then I love these quizzes because then there's this little option after it that says, not the result you wanted, see for other, see for other options. And then it's like, it just lists like four other things. You are a ballroom dancer. You're a Carlton dancer. You're a square dancer. You're a salsa dancer. And then if you just click those, it just tells you what that is. So if you want to do that, you could be a ballroom dancer, which is classy and elegant. You have refined tastes, you know, maybe that's you, man. But anyway, these quizzes don't lie. You're a breakdancer, boy. And what was that website again? Because I know Brother Andy is going to message us saying that he didn't <laughs> like the quiz because he couldn't play along. So give us that website again. It is brainfall, all one word, dot com forward slash quizzes. And then in there, you can look for the what type of dancer are you quiz. Look it up, Candy, and let us know what dancer you are. All right. Well, that, that's really it, man. We have, we have uh, only scratched the surface on uh, Dance Gavin Dance, but definitely gave a lot of insight into two of their key albums and their Johnny Craig era. But really, as we put it already, this is all about Will Swan and, uh, and the band and the amazing music that they write. So before we kind of wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? I'd just like to acknowledge Dance Gavin Dance's first EP, Whatever I Say is Royal Ocean in 2006. This is a really raw representation of what the early days of the band was what you hear on this record is what you would see live as the band was really starting to find their feet. And there's just so much kind of chaos yet beauty. I love the song, the robot with human hair part one and the robot versus heroin battle of Vietnam. It's not a complete package. It was still the band finding their feet. It's not something that a lot of new fans would enjoy, but as someone who loves those Johnny Craig years, particularly Downtown Battle Mountain, this was the blueprint of the band that they then made flesh in Downtown Battle Mountain. So just for the OG fans, I want to give a little shout out for how much I do enjoy that record. 
So I think that's it this week for the Violence and Sunshine podcast. Uh, as always, follow us and check us out on Instagram at Violence and Sunshine. Uh, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. We really appreciate everyone that's been leaving those five-star ratings. Subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone who listens, everyone who gets in touch with us. I'd like to give a special shout-out to Gail, who's a big fan of Dance Gavin Dance. She's hit me up a few times asking when we're going to do this episode. Hope we've done it justice to the Dance Gavin Dance fans. Hope we've done it justice for you, Gail. Mad love for being a friend of ours all the way from Scotland. Make sure you join us next week when we'll be exploring Taking Back Sunday. I'm Paul. And I'm Nick. I believe there's meaning. No, I believe there's nothing.